0: I'm Alistair Funge, Space Policy and Operations Engineer. Hi, I'm Ran Kedar, I'm CEO of Space Bank Innovation. I'm Dr. Christopher Newman, I'm Professor of Space Law and Policy at the University of Northumbria in Newcastle in the United Kingdom. I'm also International Space Law Advisor for Cold Star Technologies.
1: And I listen to the Cold Star Project. And I'm listening to the Cold Star Project.
0: I listen to the Cold Star Project.
1: The show is for entertainment purposes only and is not intended to be what is termed professional advice. The Cold Star Project is proudly presented by the Operational Excellence Society. Cold Star Tech is a supporter of the OPEX Society and Jason Gannigan is a member of its Board of Advisors. Talk with us at Cold Star Tech to find out more about the OPEX Society and what we can achieve together in your organization. Or just visit opexsociety.org. Thanks for joining us for today's show. My guest today is Captain David Bueller. He's the Cislunar Team Lead and also the CHIPS Flight Experiment Manager at the Air Force Research Lab Space Vehicles Directorate. It's great to have Captain Bueller on as a follow-up to Colonel Felt's interview, and Captain Bueller will be providing a little more detail about the CHIPS program. Captain Bueller has a master's degree uh, in systems engineering, and while he was doing that, he was doing some uh, fun advanced orbital mechanics training with the 319th Combat Training Squadron. So he's willing to get out there and get dirty. He's held a number of space domain awareness roles in the AFRL and has been running the Cislunar Tech area since August of 2020. Well, thanks for being here, Captain Bueller. Appreciate it. So uh, let's begin with with this question then. Why Cislunar? Why, why are we in Cislunar space and poking around in there? <laughs>
0: Uh, it's a great question i was I was actually uh, just watching your uh, interview with Colonel felt early today, and I thought you know I thought he captured uh, uh, he captured it pretty well uh, in his statements there. but I, I think one of the the best places that I go to for for giving this answer because I've been asked this question many, many, many times at this point. Uh, and the the recent space force NASA MOU that was signed, uh, I think captures it, as far as I can tell from what I've seen so far, they capture it best. Uh, and, you know, they talk about how uh, basically you get, you've got U.S., not just U.S. public interest in, you know, in terms of like NASA going back to the moon with the Artemis missions, uh, but you're seeing a, a, a strong commercial uh, private industry expansion out into the Cisner space, right? U.S. interests. Uh, I was just reading the other day from a, a company called Moonmark that's wanting to race uh, rovers on the moon, right? They want to televise a, a moon rover race, which I think is, uh, is awesome. It's super cool to see that. Um, But where where it comes back to Space Force and and why we are doing CisLunar right, is ultimately the Space Force goes where U.S. interests go, right? Where um, where U.S. interests are at, um, the Space Force is going to be there. We need to have some sort of way to to monitor what's going on out there. Uh, And, you know, the the MOU says it well, right? We we need to be prepared to extend our protect and defend mission uh, as our interests go out to the moon and and honestly out beyond, right? So we're we're looking at cislunar space with, with chips right now. But if you're looking ahead into the future, right, you've got Mars that's not on the uh, not too far on the horizon, right? You've already got m- uh, multiple folks going out there. And um, so we're thinking about all of it. But uh, I think Colonel Felt hit it pretty well, too, right? There's a uh, We're dealing with an 1,000-fold increase in volume, uh, you know, 10 times the range uh, that we're dealing with here. And uh, as you get further and further away, the objects get dimmer and dimmer. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm intimately aware with that working space domain awareness. I know how it works. And uh, a lot of challenges to overcome here. but. Um, you know, the main reason we're going back out there is because the uh, US interests are going and Space Force is gonna go too.
1: Awesome, okay, well you are the CisLunar Lunar Tech Area Lead and the uh, Flight Experiment Manager for CHIPS. Tell us what CHIPS is then because this is sort of your baby, right?
0: <laughs> uh, I, I can't say I, I can take full credit for uh, yeah. CHIPS being my, my own baby. Actually, I have a partner in crime with Dr. James Fred that I worked with at AFRLRV2 and uh, basically CHIPS started as an idea, uh, I won't say on a napkin, uh, but on a whiteboard, right, we started thinking uh, it was it was when we heard the news about the Artemis missions going back to the moon uh, that we said, huh, that's an interesting challenge. Like there's some interesting dynamics at play, some interesting physics that you have to overcome. Um, you know, Colonel Felt hit on the cone of shame, right? There's some interesting geometry problems to overcome. Uh, so we said, well, if we really want to know what's going on out there and be able to provide support to folks like NASA, um, we might actually have to go out there and go do it. So we started doing some basic math and, kind of looking at the geometry of it. And, and it made sense to, to look at a spacecraft that would actually go out into sys space space uh, to be able to close that gap, right? So be able to get in those angles, get the right spots. Um, so that's what chips came in. So chips, uh, at its core, is a, a space domain awareness experiment, right? So we're, uh, we're going to go fly a small satellite with a camera. Uh, we're going to go practice all the things that we would need to do to maintain domain awareness. Uh, so you know, knowing where things are at, predicting where they're going to be in the future, uh, being able to navigate from one point to the other, uh, all the kind of basic things that, that we do already uh, in GEO and below, but uh, become more complicated when you have you know, three-body space and um, orbits that get a little uh, wonky. And even orbit is probably a bad term here, right? You've got weird trajectories. Uh, some of them close and some of them don't. So it's an interesting problem to go solve, and that's what we're after with chips.
1: Awesome. Well, tell us about some struggles with space domain awareness is in lunar space. Cause as you were alluding to, it's, it ain't close by, right? It's <laughs> a little it's, it's further out. Yeah. Yes.
0: Yeah, so I think uh, I, I know you mentioned the term XGO when you talked to Colonel Felt too, right? So X, we, we find uh, XGO uh, sometimes is, uh, is helpful for scaling the problem a bit. So people, people generally who work in the space business, they, they have a reference for where geo is. Uh, so when I can scale distances with just saying measurements or multiples of geo. uh, The moon is roughly 10x geo, so it's a a good way to scale it. So you're dealing with an enormous volume. Uh, That's one of the biggest challenges, right, is things are really far away uh, and when things get further away, they get dimmer. Um, And like Colonel Felt said in his talk too, right, we we already do a bunch of our space domain awareness with ground-based telescopes, um, which are phenomenal assets and they do an enormous, you know, they do a great job, right, Uh, but as things get further and further away, they get dimmer and dimmer. Um, the other thing is, it's just the, the basic act of uh, saying something is there at this point and I need to know where it's going to be two hours later. Um, you know, it's fairly trivial for for GEO and for LEO. We understand that pretty well. We understand perturbations pretty well. I, I see, I saw the I-rays, right I, I won't say we have a full handle to it, uh, but in general, we understand, you know, how to predict things in the future. Now, When you get out into three-body space, it gets a bit more complicated. Things are a bit more chaotic. Um, Depending on where you're at in space, you can have uh, third, fourth, and fifth perturbations, right? So you can deal with uh, the moon for one thing, right? So the moon becomes a big factor. Uh, The sun becomes a big factor in certain areas. And in in some areas, even the pull of Jupiter is a factor. So um, you're dealing with a lot more, uh, I want to say factor again, but you're dealing with a lot more factors here uh, that can impact the orbit or the trajectory. Um, so a lot of this is basic research. We're, we're, we're dealing, we're working a lot with academia on, you know, people are writing their PhD uh, dissertations on stuff like this, and, and we're trying to tie in as much as we can. So uh, beyond that, you've got a lot of volume. So range is a problem. You've got the volume problem too, right? So as you get further and further out, things are not necessarily constrained by uh, being on a racetrack, right? So we're used to thinking, you know, at geo, you're at this rate. If you go closer, you go faster, right? We understand that pretty well and we understand that inclination changes are expensive. Um, Now when you get further and further out, uh, you can be all over the sky and it doesn't cost you an enormous amount of velocity to do it. So you're talking, we we use the term 4 pi steradians, right? It's in all directions uh, that we have to worry about. Um, And we we obviously have a particular focus on near the moon because that's where we see the most activity being in the near future. Uh, But the fact is L4 is a place, L5 is a place, they're nowhere near the moon. Uh, L3 is also a place. It's nowhere near the moon. So we have to think about the whole problem, the 4 pi stradium problem. And then I think Colonel Phelps said it best, too, right? (laughs) The moon is opaque, so uh, it's very bright, uh, and we can't see through it. So there are some things you you simply can't change, uh, and you have to be able to work around them. So uh, we've got all sorts of things we're working on to try and get around that problem.
1: All right. So going out there to not just do the California Highway Patrol thing, but also <laughs> to, to understand this This space is big. This system, right. volume is very large. Uh, oh, yeah. There's this very bright object that is blotting out things. Things are dimmer because they're farther away. Uh, and then the influences, like you say, even Jupiter, which is a very large uh, mass has an influence on what these uh, orbits might do and this pathing. Path so um, I've been looking into to TLEs a lot ever, ever since it's um, Dr. TS Kelso's fault. Uh, I started <laughs> learning about that through Celestrak, and then looking into different um, models or, or information standards and uh, and why uh, nothing new has been approved, despite studies and reports having been done for due standard of information in that. But let's let's look at this question: Why don't TLEs work in cis lunar space?
0: Uh, yeah, so I, we'll tackle that. You know, at a at a scientific level, right? So at a very basic level, you know, TLEs are, are based on uh, Keplerian two body assumptions, and and what that means in general, right, is you've got you've got two primary bodies that you're dealing with. Uh, you know, in, in the near-Earth case, you've got the satellite and you've got the planet. Uh, and those are pretty much your primary bodies, and you can you can essentially describe in orbit uh, using uh, characteristics derived from that. Uh, now, when you get out into Cisland space further and further away from the Earth, uh, like I said earlier, right, you start getting things like the Moon become a huge factor on, on where the spacecraft is going to go. So now you've got three bodies. You've got Earth, you've got the Moon, you've got the satellite. Well, if you go into places like L4, uh, you've got the sun now, too. So you've got Earth, you've got Moon, you've got sun, and satellites. So you've got the four-body problem. Um, so as you bring in more and more uh, bodies, uh, you cannot describe them using conic sections like you would uh, for Keplerian TLEs. Uh, so the fact is, we, we have to get something uh, beyond TLEs. Uh, now, I, I, I won't say, you know, I have the answer right now. It's this. We're going to go do it. Um, but I'll say it's it's active research for us, right? We're... Uh, beyond just chips you know we have you mentioned having the sysliner tech uh, sysliner tech you're lead right so uh, that means chips is encompassed in that but there are a whole bunch of other things that uh, underlie chips that have to get done for chips to be successful and one of those things is well what do we do for what do we do for custody if we don't have the TLE? Uh, so we're working on that with uh, some great academic partners and and uh i think we're getting pretty close to a solution uh, but we're trying to find something that's uh, going to make the whole community happy right we don't want to go and and say, hey, is gonna do this thing, it's gonna be an AFRL thing and everybody else is gonna have to live with it. We're trying to bring in as many of the experts around the community as we can so that uh, people can weigh in and say, yeah, that's, that'll work, it's great, or that's not gonna work, it's way too, competent- too computationally he- uh, heavy. Um, but you know, trying to make sure that we're not working on the problem in a vacuum is something that we've been really pushing.
1: Okay, yeah, and that's really key. Uh, try- you can come up with a solution, but user adoption it's oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, really difficult to get in some of these places, and, and there's a sort of not invented here syndrome, and so we don't want it because we didn't uh, have a, have a hand in making it. So I appreciate that. Um, how how do you go about choosing the masters and PhD level contacts that you work with? I guess with just in general.
0: Um, well, so I guess in, in my case, right? So we've we've had uh, you know we've had a contract through University of Arizona for a while now. And we've worked with University of Arizona, and, um, you know, it, we inherited that contract in the past, actually. Uh, and, and they've been phenomenal. And through that contract, we've been able to bring on folks at like CU Boulder, uh, UT Austin, obviously, you know, uh, Mariva pretty well. Uh, so we've, we've worked with him through that contact as well. Um, but basically, we, we spend a lot of time, uh, you know, because I work for one thing, I work with a lot of folks who are, who are prior academics. So they know everybody in this game. Uh, and we always just kind of try to plug in with people and say, hey, what are your master's students doing? What are your PhD students doing? Um, and try to kind of, uh, I don't want to say steer them towards what we want them to do. But we, we try to say, hey, here are the problems we're trying to solve. And, uh, and, you know, if you have a student who's really interested in it, we'd love to do it. So we, we try to kind of engage with academia through uh, personal contacts. Uh, and occasionally we have people reach out to us and say, hey, I've got this great idea or my student has this great idea, can we tell you about it? And we, we're happy to hear. So, um, uh, you know, we're, 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 we're very happy with the amount of academic support we've been able to get uh, through not only contracted support, but also through uh, just folks saying, hey, my student's working on this, would this be helpful for you? And we say, absolutely. So we've, we've had a couple of our folks uh, sit in on dissertation committees, actually sit on their boards. And we've actually, uh, you know, we, uh, every now and then we'll swing into a, a master's student defending their thesis, right? Like we try, to sit, we try to sit in the back and see what's out there and just kind of keep a finger on the pulse.
1: Okay. How, how do you let people know that the, the research lab exists? Uh, like I'm a space guy and I'm interested and I follow the news and just this week I found out about another government organization that has to do with space. And I had no idea that it existed until I just randomly saw it in my LinkedIn feed.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, I think we do, uh, you know, I, I won't speak for AFRL at large, right? But I know uh, AFRL spends a healthy amount of time at trade shows. So they try to go out to, you know, big shows like, uh, you know, they, every year the Air Force has their big year in cyber showcase or airspace and cyber showcase. So they, I know they spend a healthy amount of time out, of, out at uh, uh, conferences. Um, but me personally, right? I, it, obviously, you found me through LinkedIn, so mm-hmm. I, I try to spread as much as I can uh, through LinkedIn. I try to spread the word about all the cool stuff we're doing, um, and things like this, right? Obviously, we're uh, interviewing with you is uh, an opportunity for us to spread the word about the stuff that we're doing at AFRL, and um, yeah, it's just it's all a, it's it's a coordinated effort to try and get the word out. I'll say that.
1: Okay, and referrals are always good. I was I was <laughs> referred to you by Colonel um, Feltz XO, so. That was a very, very good referral. Well, <laughs> what, I guess let's, let's look at this question. What are some potential long-term payoffs for Space Force by looking at the CHIPS program?
0: Uh, yeah, so, I mean, beyond the what we've already discussed pretty well in detail, right, beyond the ability for, for us to, to extend the Protect and Defend mission should we need to, uh, beyond that, right, Being having that SDA backbone is kind of core to doing anything else that you would want to do, um, you know, I, I think... If Space Force is going to go beyond GEO, if we're going to move out there with U.S. interests, uh, it would be wise for us to have a smooth transition, right? So it's rather than us uh, all of a sudden overnight say, "Wow, we're going to go do, uh, we're going to go to X-GEO, we're going to do cis-lunar, we're going to do it tomorrow." Um, it's smart for the lab to be thinking about this, you know, you know, five years out, right? Start doing things like chips, uh, flying some prototypes, flying some experiments, so that uh, it's not so much of a uh, oh, wow, we need to be out there now, it's, oh, well, it's fine. We've, we've made a gradual investment, right? It's, it's not a you know, flip the switch and we're there. Uh, because for one thing, uh, the S&T problems uh, for Cislunar space are, are not solved, so it's not as easy as you flip the switch and you've got Cislunar. It's, there's some, some fundamental challenges we have to overcome first. Um, but I think uh, risk reduction, uh, tech maturation, things like chips are, are a great first step. Uh, and I'm not just saying that because I'm biased being the CHIPS program manager, but uh, uh, I, I really do think that it's it's smart for you to take some first baby steps and get to know how the, how the place works and understand what things break and what things don't break, um, so that when you're ready to go do it for real, uh, it's not your first time doing it. Uh, and I think in, in general, uh, we need to start training operators, right? So people, when they're coming out of undergraduate space training for Space Force, right, it would be good for them to understand uh, not just the two- body problem, but have a, a you know an understanding generally of of what happens if you go beyond you, right? Um, things get weird <laughs> for one thing, obviously we're aware of that. Uh, but it would be good for us to start training operators at various levels on 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 having this in the toolbox, right? Well what if you could do this? What if you weren't constrained? What if one degree of inclination change didn't kill a quarter of your life, right? What if you could do that uh, and start basically creating, you know, more people who have probably better ideas than me uh, to come out and do all the other cool things that we could be doing. Uh, and then I think uh, the, the big thing that kind of goes back to the Space Force, NASA, MOU, right? Uh, they talk about legacy technologies and architecture. Um, so I think things like chips will kind of push us, like you're seeing with TLEs, will kind of push yeah. us to start thinking, well, maybe we need to move beyond this, right? Maybe we need to get, you know, we've gotten away with it. It's been good enough for a while, uh, but we can do better. And maybe things like CHIPS uh, will help us uh, kind of get beyond the legacy architecture and start thinking, well, what's the next gen? What's the future look like? And then I think uh, the final thing is, right, uh, in the spirit of the NASA Space Force MOU, uh, CHIPS is, I think, a a great opportunity for us to collaborate with NASA on multiple items on that list. I think there's 13 items or 11 items. I'm trying to remember. Um, But uh, if you look at all those items on that list and you look at what CHIPS is trying to do, I mean, we have opportunities to collaborate on multiple areas uh, in that MOU. So I think for one thing, this helps. If NASA is going to go and Space Force is going to go support, uh, it'd be good for us to go together, right? For us to to try and, you know, not duplicate effort, try and be smart with our investments, make sure that we can work together uh, and make sure that we're not having that conversation when we get out there, right? We'd rather have that conversation before we go. So I think CHIPS is a great opportunity for us to start that conversation and to, to jumpstart those connections.
1: Right, right. Yep. Another recent guest, Commander Tim Anderson, out of the Navy. Same kind of five-year planning, right? Let's look oh, yeah. ahead as to uh, what we're going to need and get the experience and, and uh, funding started now. Uh, it's not going to just magically wave the magic wand and <laughs> poof, there it is, just suddenly That's when you want it. So That's what yeah. I
0: tell people. is that, I think my favorite quote is, you, you can't turn the faucet on and get more lunar." You know, it's not, it's not something where if, uh, if you know, uh, general whoever comes down and says, hey, we need this now. It's like, well, we understand we can move as fast as we can, but there are fundamental S&T challenges that, that you need to overcome that you're not just going to do overnight. It's going to take a little while. So it's good for us to think, like you said, five years out, 10 years out, start thinking about what problems you need to overcome so that you're not having to do it overnight.
1: Right. Well, Capt. Bueller, let's let's finish up with this. How did you personally get involved in this area? How did you make the choices, uh, you know, coming through the armed forces and end up in the seat that you've got now?
0: <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how I got so lucky. I'll we will we'll start with that. So, I you know I I gosh, that's a tough question. <laughs> but I like it. It's a really good question. So, you know, I ended up in at at Kirtland and was working in more of a traditional space domain awareness role. So, you know, understanding challenges at geo and below. Um, and really it was kind of, uh, it was like an overnight thing that we started thinking about cislunar and said, there's a lot of problems here that we could go solve. We could really, I mean, really it was, we, we felt we could make a big difference, right? That was what we saw. And, uh, we started pushing on that a little bit. And we found that there was a there there. There was definitely a need. Um, people were interested in what we were doing. Um, we were attracting lots of really, really high level attention, people way above my prey grade. Um, and it's just been a snowball ever since. And it's, it's still rolling. So I'm, I'm excited to be a part of it. I, I tell people jokingly that I, I'm convinced I have the coolest job in the Space Force. Uh, and I've yet to tell, have somebody tell me otherwise. But uh, yeah, I'll defend that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right, right. Well, yeah, and I think it's important for people to, to realize uh, that this this title, let's say Cis lunar Tech Area uh, Lead, didn't exist at some point, right? It, it oh, uh, was no. an idea. And then, uh, you know, it had to get kind of shopped around and build support and then pop right. into uh, existence with funding in that. So, well, I'll, fantastic. I'll
0: say, I'll say I just want to make sure, too, that I, I highlight, you know, that, uh, I'm very glad with our, our leadership at AFRL, you know, with mm-hmm. Colonel Felt. Uh, obviously none of this would have happened uh, if Colonel Felt hadn't been so supportive of it. So yeah, I have to give a shout out to him for uh, you know, not only giving us this effort legs and helping us stand it up, but also that the fact that he trusted, a, well, a first lieutenant at the time. I started, mm-hmm. I promoted to captain back in June. So he, he trusted a first lieutenant with an idea like this uh, to run with it. And I, was, you know, I can't say thank you enough for him for, um, you know, for trusting me with that, uh, with that authority and the opportunity. So it's been great.
1: Awesome, awesome. Well, my guest has been David Bueller, captain now, <laughs> since June. <laughs> yes, uh, in the U.S. Air Force, uh, Cislunar Tech Area Lead and CHIPS Flight Experiment Manager. area. we are. And uh, how, what's the best way for people to get a hold of you, just through LinkedIn? Uh,
0: yeah, I mean, there's lots of ways. I can I can drop my email for you. Uh, sure. LinkedIn's great. I, I I'm fairly active on LinkedIn, and I'll say I'm a captain in the Air Force now. But I am one of the 49 people Colonel Felt mentioned, so I'll be mm. I'll be Space Force in February from this time, you know, February. So uh, I'm excited about that. But mm-hmm. uh, I can give you my email address. Uh, yeah. Feel free to email me. Uh, LinkedIn's probably the fastest. That's you know I have it on my cell phone, so I can get to it pretty quick. But uh, I can definitely drop an email in there. All
1: right. Thanks for doing this.
0: Yeah. yeah thank you. Thanks for having me.
1: Well, and I just want to finish it up by giving a quick shout out to the AFRL Space Vehicles Public Affairs Office. Thanks for letting us do this. Hey, this is Jason Kanigan, the host of the program. Thanks a lot for listening to the Cold Star Project. want me to send you new episodes of the Cold Star Project so that you don't have to go hunting around for them or watching YouTube or anything like that, go to this page coldstartech.com slash msb, that's short for Make Space Boring, which is what we're all about, and uh, drop in your email address there and I will be able to do that for you. Make Space Boring is another little show that I run. It's a shorter format, quick interviews and uh, news of the day and sometimes an update of who I'm meeting and what I'm learning in the space field. It's on the same Cold Star Tech channel. of which, on the YouTube channel I can do something I cannot do on the audio only version, which is add playlists, and so there may be topic area playlists on the YouTube channel that you would be interested in digging into, going down the rabbit hole and learning uh, more about, for example, space law and policy, space situational awareness, lunar mining and construction and fun stuff like that. So go check that out. Uh, that is at coldstartech.com slash play. That's the short link to get there. Anyway, thanks for listening, and I look forward to talking.